that shit went down and I went back to my uh, wherever I was living apartment or dorm because it might have been during an internship and I watched the film closer and I just decided to be and then I downloaded that the is album. not a good movie to watch when you have a mo- when you're having relationship problems. <laughs> came to new york city all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed well it started as sex in the city it ended as taxi driver but that's just what happens when you make a career in marketing but don't you remember the thrill of that initial flush with the city seeing its grandiosity exploring its hipster bars because hipsters were a big thing in the early 2000s and going to like mega bookstores like coliseum by bryant park or perusing the stacks of cds at the virgin megastore in union square which is now a bank. That feels appropriate. All right, so this week we are reading Roaming about a group of young women visiting New York City for the first time. It's by one of our favorite award-winning comic creator duos, the cousins Jillian and Mariko Tamaki. Ah, yes. We read their previous collaborations, two coming-of-age young adult graphic novels, 2008 Skim and 2016's This One Summer. All three are coming-of-age graphic novels. I'm Ryan Joe. And I'm Roman Segel. And although we're middle-aged, we're not too old to come-of-age ourselves. Except we probably are. Now, in Roaming... Two longtime friends, Zoe and Danny, reunite in New York City for a holiday wandering through the concrete jungle where dreams are made of. Except that Danny has invited her own friend as well, the volatile art student Fiona. And Fiona really throws everything off. Are you trying to tell me not to have guests on this podcast? Anyway, Ryan, this is a book that we've both been really looking forward to for a while. It's been five years in the making. Was it worth the wait? You know, when I initially read it, I wasn't as captivated by the drama in Roaming as I was in Skim and This One Summer, which somehow, even though those characters and those two graphic novels were younger, what happened there felt so much more consequential. I think maybe because like in Skim, for instance, the, the young girl is isolated. And in This One Summer, the young girl is kind of getting into some situations that are a little bit, you know, a, a little bit sketchy. And Roaming, obviously, it has Fiona throwing off the Zoe-Danny dynamic, but it didn't feel as dramatic as some of the situations and conflicts that were in the, the Tamaki's previous two graphic novels. However, I came to New York City in 2005, and I believe one of the Tamakis did as well. And so this book was really steeped in mid-aughts New York City, and it really hit a level of nostalgia that the other two books obviously didn't. So there's a familiarity in roaming and in what these young women are doing in roaming that I really related to and touched me in a sort of emotional way. How about you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I think the expectations for this book were sky high and it was hard to let go of those when we read it. And this was something one we've been looking forward to in this, you know, moving our way through the alphabet R is for roaming. So we've known for a long time we're going to do this because we were going to hit R right at the same time this book was coming out. And I think I couldn't help but hold on to those expectations while I was reading it. And then once I started to forget about my expectations, I started to enjoy the book more. And I think there there were three things that really worked for me about this book. One is it's a time capsule. It's kind of the early mid 2000s. I think this book's in like 
you know, 2009, 2011 is when it takes place. Kind of the iPhones come out, but not everyone has it. It's this era that's familiar, but it's distant enough. And so that was cool. It was the first trip to New York. I remember my first trip to New York as a semi-adult in my early 20s was, you know, 2002. So again, that 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 familiar feeling of a, a not-too-distant past. And then last but not least, it's awkward adolescence and it's traveling. You know, prior to kind of getting married and settling down with my then-girlfriend, now-wife, I I did a lot of this sort of travel, right, with with close friends who I hadn't seen in a while. My my first adult trip to New York City was, was with a past podcast guest, Barun and his older brother, right? And, you know, we didn't stay at hostels, but we slept on couches. And even in my late 20s, I've traveled the world with friends like Barun and Will. And there's kind of a, you know, intimate capsule. But then, you know, w- when we'd meet up with other people, kind of like weird things would happen. So I just... The book rang true, not just because of New York, but it kind of rang true because of familiarity with friends, catching up with people that you've grown apart from. So I, I don't know, man. I At first, I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. And the more I reflect on it, the more I sit with it, the more I flip through it, the more I appreciate it for what it is. It kind of captures something for me. Yeah, it captures what it was like for us because, you know, these characters are, are, are our age. And a lot of the adventures they went on are very familiar. I, I, you bring up the hostel, and I remember, you know, kind of traveling in these hostel environments. Hostel, not like hostel, but hostel as in staying in a hostel for our listeners out there. But you know, you who don't you know, know what the, who don't know what that is. <laughs> when you say hostel environment, it's sort of like, wait a minute, what is he talking about? But there's a sort of camaraderie that exists when you're staying at a hostel with people who you're close to. And that was a dynamic that the Tamakis captured, I think, really well. You know, when the when the girls are being a little bit annoying and the other people in the hostel tell them to quiet down or to be a little bit more respectful and they lash out. And that sort of immaturity and self-righteousness really kind of resonated with me because as, you know... As much as the girls in that situation were in the wrong, it's also something that I can see myself doing, feeling indignant when somebody else told me to told me what to do. I remember when I was 12, right, going on kind of a first field trip, like overnight field trip. I think we drove to from Alabama to Orlando to go to Disney. And it was a real bonding experience with everyone on the trip. It was like, like as I said earlier, it was like this capsule. And I remember the first night coming back to my, my parents' house, again, age of 12, after this four or five day trip, feeling like I had lost something. And that same feeling would happen every single time, whether it would be like a three-day Model UN thing or even a conference well into adulthood where I'd go to like an iMedia conference for three days in Salt Lake City or mm-hmm. a backpacking trip to the Middle East with Will. It's this moment in time where you're kind of in a bubble with a handful of people and there's certain routines of the places you sleep, the the bars you go to, the restaurants or the dinners that you're going to. And it captured that for me as well. Like I haven't, I mean, obviously the pandemic was a much bigger bubble, but it's the bubble of your house and your family, but kind of going away for a three to four day thing with friends or making new friends along the way. And then the heartbreak that comes with, you know, potentially being ostracized or losing contact with those people like there, there was a real rawness to that and that was, that was just kind of the emotion again maybe i was probably bringing my own baggage into the book but i couldn't help but see that before i moved to new york i lived in london for about six months and hung out with a group of expats many of whom i'm still in contact with and friends with today but 
I do remember when those six months were up and we were all going our separate ways feeling just this profound sadness because I knew that, you know, you know that that moment is temporary. You have these great times together, but as much as you say, oh, we're going to do it again, we'll get back together again, it's not ever really the same because you don't have the same freedom that you have when you're young and you're traveling because you have no responsibilities to anybody and all you have to do is just make sure you have enough money to get by and you can kind of do that pretty easily. And now when I meet up with everybody else who I knew at that time, you know, we're all, we've all got our own things going. We've all got our own <laughs> adult baggage that, and you don't realize how idyllic that, that time was and how temporary it was. And I think roaming captures that well, you know, because despite all of the personality conflicts, and in fact, it's those personality conflicts that give these moments of travel like so much texture and, and, and so much memory because they impact you as a person and they actually inform how you evolve as a person, which is another thing that I think the Tamakis did really well is capture this very odd dynamic between Danny, Zoe, uh, Danny and Zoe and how it was so disrupted by, by Fiona. Yeah, and I mean, I, we have to talk about the book for a little bit. Like, I didn't like Fiona from the moment I met her, and I didn't like her throughout the book, and that's okay. Like, it's I remember I just had this visceral reaction to her because she was wedging in the way of two friends getting back together. And to be clear, is it Danny or Zoe who's the one with the crew cut? I believe that's Danny, and I might have I might have mixed them up in the introduction, but that is okay. Yeah, it's it's, but I because you kind of feel protective of the friendship you know and it's it's okay i mean she's not a villain she has her own stuff but she is kind of the person i'm rooting against in the book fiona but the fact that the book could make me viscerally feel that way about her as the x factor because she's kind of in, infringing upon what what the two friends just kind of wanted to have together like whose idea was it to bring her along now you know one of the characters is really glad that it happened and flings happen you know it, that's another part of growing up, right? Like I, to kind of like recount another story, I just remember there was like a group of people I rolled with at a certain point in my career. And then one of them started hooking up with someone else who I was friends with. And I felt betrayed hmm. that. Right. So it's just like, how I did you, ha how did you handle it? How did you handle it? Like Zoe, where she just shuts down or did you see any similarities in the way you handled it and the way yeah. Zoe handled it? Yeah, totally. You, you know, you kind of walk away and you ignore it because they're doing their thing and they're having fun. And it sucks because, and not that you want to be part of the fun, but you're not part of the group anymore, right? They paired off. And you kind of like move on and try to be, try not to look like you're sad, but be really sad and mm -hmm. listen to Dashboard Confessional, Jimmy <laughs> World. And uh, I'm trying to come up with uh, other sad stuff that I listened to in my mid 20s, right? Probably Letter um, Cohen, I'm sure. <laughs> Damien Rice, a lot of Damien. The movie Closer. Actually, I should say this. I don't know. Oh, what yeah. This, this, this is how you pin what year that event happened, right? IMDb closer. Let's see. That was 2004 that was... or five, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember that shit went down and I went back to my wherever I was living apartment or dorm because it might have been during an internship. And I watched the film closer and I just decided oh. to be and then I downloaded. That the is album. not a good movie to watch when you have a mo when you're having relationship problems. Roman. <laughs> And these are like friendship relationship problems, right? And, you know, you just kind of wall yourself off and be sad. And then you just kind of decide. I mean, fortunately for 
for the character in the book, she could walk around one of the greatest cities in the world and just be immersed in it. Like, I mean, something is something we always save for the end, but we can't. Like, the art is just fucking transcendent in oh, yeah. the book, and it's not just it's the evocation of feeling in the movement around the city and you can feel you can kind of feel the emotion whether it's the love and the butterflies or hooking up or walking around new york city pretty much with you know rems automatic for the people must be the soundtrack to what what she's feeling as she walks around like i i don't know man this book is it's better on a second reading i should say that it was really it's pretty good on a first reading and i think it was probably handicapped by my expectations one thing i want to point out is zoe and danny so they're zoe and danny are friends going back to childhood best friends and zoe with her crew cut and you know probably recently realized that she was gay or recently came out as gay is going through a massive transformation i mean the first thing that Danny says when she sees Zoe after having gone separate ways for a number of years is you know, she she comments on her hair, your hair, you, you shaved off all your hair, you're mm-hmm. wearing all black. And then there's a flashback where you see Zoe and she actually looks like Danny and dresses like Danny and has long hair like, like Danny. And so they're almost kind of almost look sort of interchangeable. And so there's this sense of Zoe in the midst of her own self-discovery and her own transformation. Um, and Danny and Zoe still cling to that old friendship that they have with each other. But you also start to, you're also starting to see them go separate ways as people. And of course, Fiona is probably not intentionally, but she's somebody who kind of influences Zoe going even, you know, further away from, from her friendship with, with Danny. Yeah. And, you know, for Danny, of course, that, that's, that's just really, really confusing. And I'm, I'm sure it's confusing for Zoe too, because she oftentimes takes Fiona's side against Danny, probably without ever realizing explicitly that she's that she's doing it. So you see the beginnings of this division, and maybe that's also what makes this book so sad. Because as much as Zoe and Danny have had a long friendship and they've planned this for so long, and they're so glad to be in New York City together, it, it does feel temporary that friendship like it's on borrowed time because zoe is seems to be on heading to down a a very different path in life whereas danny hasn't changed that much since her since her teenage years it seems well it's you know everyone develops at their own pace right and i think that was part of the tension you know one decide not decided to but one please cut that out whoever edits it like one one started to change faster than the other Right. And uh, we all change at different rates, but we're not all in sync with each other and kind of watching that happen in real time because it creates a little bit of tension. And again, there's a lot to be said about, I mean, queer narratives in the Tamaki's books are, are fine and welcome and, and they're helpful to, helpful to kind of see just kind of like a romance and hooking up. But there is this dynamic of what was supposed to be like a three girls girls trip turning into two people pairing off. Right. And one person feeling ostracized. Right. Um, and the irony, of course, is the person who feels ostracized is the person who brought Fiona onto the on the trip in the first place. Yeah, that's why, you know, just don't bring your friends to a podcast. I mean, a trip <laughs> together. <laughs> I want to talk about the fourth character in the book, New York City. Right. Like, I think films do a really good job of making the city or the setting a character. But I don't think I mean, even Berlin. Right. It, 
it was more about the political context and situation. And maybe it's because like we both kind of lived and work in New York City for the better part of a decade that we kind of know it, if, if it makes sense. But it wasn't even the sights and sounds of things they saw. It was just there was an authenticity that that just kind of exuded off the page. It felt like its own character. Well, like the pizza, for instance, right? We're all, I'm sure you're very familiar with that greasy pizza that you get for a dollar a slice. And I just kind of love it. It's $2 now. It's $2 Oh, two $2, yeah. Was it, well, in 2005, it was a dollar. I used to go to this bar called yeah. Port 41, may it rest in peace, right uh, on 41st under by the Port Authority. It was a great bar, $3 pints, and then they had full-size pool tables in the back room that you could use for free. But across the street was also $1 pizza. So as a starving grad student, you could get a full meal there for like about four bucks and an evening's worth of entertainment. Um, so looking at images of that pizza slice really brought how, <laughs> you know, how, how, how viscerally um, Maroko Tamaki illustrated it. I was just incredibly impressed at how she captured the texture of New York, but also New York in this specific time in 2005. You know, I, I referenced the Virgin Megastore yeah. in our introduction. And I think that's probably because I saw the Virgin Megastore illustrated as the characters were walking around Times Square. Remember, there were two of them. There was one in Union Square and then there was that, the one in Times Square as well. Yeah, there it is. It's actually it's, it's actually on one of the splash pages. So it, it the the illustrations capture the grandiosity of the city. It, it almost sort of glorifies the city in a way that the city seemed glorified when I first landed there, both big mm -hmm. and dirty and extremely bright. She captures the brightness so well, but also sometimes intimidating. Like when they, you know, talk, try to get a picture with the person dressed up as Grover or one of those. <laughs> Elmo. You know, Elmo. Is that Elmo? <laughs> it's like some sort of mutated Sesame street. It's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to tell. And then, you know, they, they have the picture and the guy says 10 bucks. Um, definitely something I remember, a warning from in the in the mid-aughts where it's like, don't don't take your picture with those people. Don't give them money. But I mean, the scene after kind of the hookup and Danny's kind of wandering around on her own in Central Park, like from page, mm -hmm. I don't know, 300 onward. It's just like so immersive, especially exactly at page 300. And certain there's multiple panels of her sitting on the fountain and, you know, meeting the random lady. It's just, it captures it really well. It's a feeling. If you want to feel New York, but again, at that era in time, because New York is different now, and even New York then, I remember the trip I made was 2002, so it was after 9-11. My best friend and his brother were both at MIT, so they came down and I came up from, from spring break from grad school, and we stayed at my friend's house, another guy named Ryan, his, at his house in Brooklyn. And just like the feeling of the city, the acknowledgement of New York City is kind of like this world capital. It was just like this moment in time, right? I, I feel like in New York still is that, I think. But like, I think it's changed now that everything in the world has been Instagram, so to speak. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's a pre-social media world and where New York was special to everyone. and But it wasn't known to everyone, if that makes sense. Yeah. Can, can we, I know we talked a little bit about Fiona and your dislike for that character. I, I feel a little bit more sympathy to her. I'm, were, were you entirely just negative on on her? 
I mean, I think because typically when I do my trips, right, like it's me and one person agreeing to go somewhere and a visitor doesn't come along. Now, a visitor comes along in the sense of one of us might hook up with someone on the trip that someone else we meet, right? <laughs> like, but even when that happens, it's it's like one day of a 10-day trip. It's not like the, the friend you're tagging along with is abandoning you, so to speak. And so she just from the very get-go felt like an interloper from literally those mm. opening scenes i was like why is she here and i already knew it because i read the book jacket like i didn't i, I avoided all the press about this book before we read it but once the book arrived you know i read the book jacket and so i knew something was going to happen with her and you could kind of see it from a mile away what was happening as the flirtation happened and so i was kind of watching a train wreck in slow motion um so I don't know. I guess I was just predisposed against her the whole time. Tell, I guess, tell me why you like her though, or why why she didn't bug you as much. I mean, she she did, but Fiona is the sort of character that I was probably really attracted to in the twenties, <laughs> my twenties. See, so hang on. If we went to New York City, you would be the friend that dissed me when we ran into Fiona. Yeah, pretty much. Friend, right? Yeah, yeah, got it. Clear. Okay. <laughs> now you know where my loyalty. And then I and then I'd go listen to Dashboard Confessional in Central Park by myself. Got it. You know, got because it. you know she's sort of mysterious. She has, yeah, she has this mystique around her. She seems like she possesses a knowledge that you don't have. She seems like almost sort of of another world. She has all of mm. this accoutrement, this fur coat, these tights. Her hair is so much wilder than than Danny's and Zoe's. So she's just a very kind of alluring, interesting person. And you know, when you're young and in your twenties, at least for me, what I look for in a friend was somebody who was sort of interesting, who saw the world in a way that I didn't see it, who was sexy. And that's kind of like what Fiona is. Now, obviously, a lot of that is sort of this veneer that she's using, this armor that she's positioning to you know, hide her own vulnerabilities. If you seem aloof, you are able to keep people away. And why she's hiding her own vulnerabilities is probably another graphic novel. But it also... I guess the other thing about Fiona is looking at that character, I also kind of think about how I've changed and how also what I look for, for a, in a friend or in a companion hmm. is very different hmm. because now the, the most important trait for me for a friend is reliability, which is boring, but also super crucial. So I maybe I recognize Fiona in a lot of people that I hung out with. And I have a, a, a lot of affection for that sort of person, even though I, I'm a little less patient with that sort of personality nowadays. Like nowadays, <laughs> I feel a little bit a little bit tiresome. But I mean, like, she's in her 20s. You know, it's something that you expect to, they'll grow out of it in their 30s and, and hopefully by their 40s. So I, I see the that everything that she's doing is a put upon. It's this me first thing, but I understand the allure of it and I understand the attraction of it. I understand why Zoe is so attracted to her because as far as I know, this is Zoe's first romance with another woman. I think they might have alluded to it. She certainly doesn't have a lot of experience. And so, you know, you can kind of see why she captures Zoe's attention so much and why why Zoe is so so attracted to her. She's probably like nobody that Zoe has ever really interacted with before. Hmm. Well, I think a couple of things are really telling about this, but the one is that we're old, right? Like, oh yeah, the thing. You, the but thing you know you what? It's like you know, 
these yeah, characters yeah. are old at this point also there's these you no, know they're all our age. this is they're, they're all eight yeah i mean so it's that i think that's so many of the books we read reveal kind of our age whether it's you know like rolling our eyes at the horny teen boys we were when we read the x-men back in the day mm-hmm. or not being able to relate as much to a ya book but it's maybe because this is not as far away like there's someone once wrote or it's been said by psychologists that you your kind of mental image of yourself freezes at a certain point and it's like your mm-hmm. late 20s or your early 30s and there's a real danger in that but like because maybe you don't really know what's good for you anymore or but i think a sign of maturity is that we've realized that we want boring and reliability boring and reliability more right than kind of crazy excitement that part of our lives has faded yeah um for better or for I, worse i, I wish i for, sometimes yeah. wish i had the energy to go back and you know experience it but now if i think of going back to it i just get tired <laughs> i remember the moment for me i don't remember what the band was but my friend Suzanne and i were in cincinnati and we went to a show at bogart's in clifton the university of cincinnati part of town and it was something I don't think it was less than Jake, but it might have been like a high energy band, like ska punk band, like less than Jake. And we decided to sit in the balcony and like get there early <laughs> and like sit at a table. And we got really frustrated when everyone around us started standing. And mm. we got really frustrated when there was like a second or a third encore because we're like, I, I got to go. to work I got to go. Yeah, I got to go home, man. <laughs> and but I remember, you know, five years prior to that, I was like, what, man, why are they? Why are they letting the lights up? It's only one. Let's go. I want another set. <laughs> so i don't know i it's so funny man I, f- I feel like this book we spent more time kind of reflecting on our own stuff than the book itself but i think that's I, the book's I, I power that... though i you know because like yeah, initially yeah, when yeah, we were yeah, talking yeah. about this i was said oh, i'm a little disappointed because it doesn't have the dramatic urgency that yeah, yeah, skim yeah. that skim did that this was summer had but i think that's okay because at least for me the book worked on a much different level than those other mm-hmm. two it was less about like what's going to happen in the story, who's where are the conflicts going to arise, and more like, oh yeah, I remember when I was twenty and in New York for the first time in two thousand and five, and I remember really the feeling of going into Times Square during the day for the first time and just seeing all of the people and just being like, what the fuck is this i had never seen i you know i had lived in london in los angeles i had been in san francisco and i had i never had seen anything like that mass of humanity just surrounded by all of these lights and billboards and signs and Mm -hmm. the energy just kind of like overwhelmed me but i also found it just so cool and i think that's the feeling that i kind of felt again reading roaming that sense of being in New York for the first time and overwhelmed by all the stimuli and all of the weird people that you meet. Yeah. So, okay. I guess that brings us to one of our final questions, which is Robin, would you, would you recommend this book? I think so. I, the thing I've been, I was kind of grappling with is like, do you and I have an affection for this book because we either came as visitors or we moved to New York in this era of our lives you know, I'm genuinely curious. You know, I have a lot of friends from my life who have visited New York, like the characters in this book, but not lived here, right? And not have the kind of experience that happens from repeated visits and wandering the streets and that moment where you walk out of the subway and you actually know which way is like uptown or downtown mm. because you kind of, things like that, right? Um, 
I think for anyone who's been to New York, for anyone who's traveled with friends, for anyone who's either like hooked up and abandoned a friend or been abandoned by a friend when they hooked up, like <laughs> yeah, I think there's so many. I, I think are, this book that is, left, yeah. but that was a core memory for you the the friend abandonment. I you know it's happened so many times. It's okay because if it had happened the way it happened in this book, where you thought you were there with a friend for the whole week, it's fine. Like dude, my friends, you know. I'm I'm usually not the guy who's hooking up on a trip, but my friends are, and that's okay because then we'll go get pizza later on that night. It's it's all good. But <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of universal truth. I think I'd recommend this book to people in our age yeah. group, kind of reflecting back on a time in their lives. I don't know if some of the kids who work for me, who are currently living their best New York life right now, would relate to this. This might be a little too period piece for them, you know? Um, yeah, oh, fuck, kind of man. Digest- this is a period yeah. piece now? Like, this feels <laughs> kind of We're recent. old. We're I old. Know. Uh, yeah, I guess it's like what Adrian Tomine said with uh, uh, shortcomings. Like, they were like, is this going to be a period piece? <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, actually, it, it could be a period piece. It's, every day it becomes more and more of one, right? Yeah. I, I can literally hear like the mid... I can hear the Stroke soundtrack playing while this while they walk around the city yeah so i would i would but i would vehemently not vehemently is the wrong word i would i'd strongly recommend it for people like us yeah people I, who I, are now in, a, in the tamer phase of their life who who had these moments 10, i'd be super curious ago. like how I, i'm kind of you know I, I would for the same reason i would be curious how people who are older than us kind of feel about yeah. this and also yeah and to your point like people who are younger than us you should you should just send it to all your young colleagues your young gen z colleagues and say you should you should read this oh no the, they should yeah if only i had a hard copy of it but you know i i, I sold mine to some some unsuspecting chump who was really upset about some pet related malady so oh, too soon too soon <laughs> ryan i have an even more important question for you though wait you didn't ask me if i'd recommend this oh wait i said yes okay oh, yes. You, you revealed it you revealed it on your own of your own reconnaissance i did indeed I, yes well, Ryan, I guess who would you recommend it to? I mean, same, same people as you. Okay, okay, yeah, it's not that old interesting. farts, old farts, <laughs> old millennial farts. Ryan, the more important question that I have to ask you: What is that important question? What are we reading next week? Next week, we're going to be reading Sabrina by the young graphic novelist Nick Dernasso. Sabrina is a mystery about a missing woman, but it's not just about what happens to her; it's about what happens afterwards, not just to her, but to everybody else who is involved or interested in her fate i think it's unlike anything that we've read on this podcast certainly anything that i've ever read and i'm really looking forward to talking with you about it next next episode so it's sabrina by nick dernasso and that's our show like what you heard be sure to share with a friend subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts see lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com and since we're sure no one's listening prove us otherwise shoot an email over to say what i got right and what ryan got wrong qtdcomics at gmail.com give you a social media handle but we're old and that feels like too much work i'm roman segel and i am and have always been ryan jones